You're listening to the She's Unshakable podcast. I'm your host, Fleur Lonsdale, and if you're looking to create incredible courage, resilience, and unshakable belief in yourself, then this podcast is for you. Each episode, I'll be interviewing incredible adventurers, athletes, and entrepreneurs to dig deep into the strategies and tools they use to create unwavering courage and belief so that you can learn how to never give up on your goals and achieve the life of your dreams. I am so just delighted and so grateful to be able to share this amazing podcast with you all today because, man, Talea has got such an incredible story and such uh, an incredible transformation and such courage and I am just so blessed that she came on this podcast and shared her story so vulnerably and so openly and really opened her heart and gave her all in this podcast to help you, to help those that you know that may also need a little bit of extra hand um, and a little bit of extra love in their life right now. So this is for you. This is to know that you're not alone. This is for you to realize that there are lots of other people that go through a lot of struggles in their life, but still come out on top and very well and healthy and happy. And enjoy this podcast. I hope that you love it and take so much away from it. And don't forget to share it with your friends. Yay! Welcome, Talia. I'm so excited to have you with us on the She's Unshakable podcast. Welcome. You look so sunny and wonderful. <laughs> I wish it was sunny and wonderful here, but I'm so stoked to have you with us. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. You are so welcome. So welcome. So obviously, you know how the podcast runs and you know that the first question I ask is, um, how do you set yourself up in the morning or what's your morning routine? Before we get to know you a little bit better, I'd love for you to delve into telling us a little bit about that. Yeah, so basically in the morning, it's just kind of like, you know, my typical morning things, like, you know, wake up, brush my teeth, wash my face, make breakfast. I usually like just have a smoothie or like something healthy for breakfast. Um, And I try to make sure there are not really too many distractions in the morning. So that way I can truly like listen to my thoughts and like process whatever it is I need to process, reflect on whatever it is I need to be reflecting on. Um, and like, that's kind of the moment, like it's usually like at the beginning of the day and towards the end of the day where I can just like sit with no distractions and just like be with my thoughts. Cause like my day is just so hectic. Like, and so usually in the, in the morning, it's like my time of processing it is my time of just like, okay, now that I've actually gotten a moment, let me just like be and listen to my thoughts. And like all of that is happening, like, as I'm like going on about my morning and um, as I, you know, finish it out, finish getting ready, I walk to school with either like listening to a podcast, listening to music, or um, just like still just being with my thoughts. Um, and I do like a little like informal prayer, like thanking God for the day. And I, it, you know, just use that walk, uh, like my little commute to school as like my way of just like you know, saying, like, thank you for everything that I have, thank you for health, thank you for all of that, and, you know, 
because I am so busy, a lot of my prayers are like that. It's usually just like informal prayers that are just like in between tasks, you know, because of like how hectic my day is. Um, but yeah, usually just like a time of processing is how my mornings go. Nice. So just some time for yourself and some time for your thoughts just to start your day in a good right. space. Awesome. Cool. So um, tell us a little bit about you. Tell us why you're here. Tell us why you connected with me as well, because, I mean, your story is, um, I'm, I mean, I'm so excited to hear all the in-depthness of it, but yeah, tell us why you're here. Or tell us a little bit about your I'm background. I'm here. Yeah, so basically, a little bit about me. I actually was not born in Louisiana. I was born in Missouri. My parents were born in Louisiana, and then we just found our way back down here so, somehow, but um, my... I, um, I'm from Missouri. Um, we, as a family, moved to Minnesota, and then we moved to, to Louisiana. And so we were kind of all over the place. And so basically, I, I grew up in the church, and my dad was um, a pastor, still is a pastor. Um, my mom was a worship leader, and that's how I kind of got into singing, um, because of my parents. I come from a pretty musical family. And, um, yeah, so I... You know, my parents were amazing people. Like, I love them to death. Um, I have so many fond memories of my childhood. Um, however, with the rainbow, you also have to have a little bit of rain before the rainbow. And so, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, you know, um, my household wasn't always super sunshine and rainbows. And there were some pretty dark moments. There was some abuse, mainly verbal abuse, um, emotional abuse in my household, um, and a lot of spiritual abuse, but as far as the spiritual abuse, um, if you are kind of like abuse, that's what that is. It's kind of like, you know, manipulating you in the name of God. Like, you know, if somebody like, let's say like a pastor is asking you to like drain your bank account in the name of the Lord, then like that's spiritual abuse or like somebody saying that, like, you know, the reason why you have cancer or the reason why you're about to die is that you didn't pray enough, you know, that you didn't submit to God, that spiritual abuse, um, basically trying to manipulate you and say like, Oh God, that's God, you know, trying to control you and trying to tell you what to do. Like God mm -hmm. told me to tell you that you have to do X, Y, Z, you know? And with that, you know, it really gave me a really weird view on God because I knew that it wasn't true but at the same time I couldn't necessarily prove that it was true and I couldn't like prove that it wasn't true like all the spiritual abuse that I was facing and all the misrepresentation of God that I was like getting you know I couldn't prove that it was right but I also couldn't prove that it was wrong so I was like I don't know I don't know where to go from mm -hmm. here and so you know, growing up in that type of environment, you know, and it wasn't just the church, it was my household as well, like on top of that, you know, uh, being, uh, growing up in purity culture and modesty culture, you know, people are very overly critical of you, especially as women. Um, sometimes people are dismissive of you, people are trying to be controlling, there was a lot of character assassination in my house, there were a lot of threats made, um, and to go, like, even further, you know, that kind of, you know, contributed to a lot of my anxiety. I have generalized anxiety disorder. 
and I also have ulcerative colitis. And so my mm. body's reaction to that yeah. was not the greatest. And, Never is. Um, and I, I started to notice homophobia and discrimination in the church, like more deeply around middle school because um, we were living in um, Louisiana at the time, which I'm still living in Louisiana, but um, we, we started to go to a church, a specific church that um, unfortunately had um, some people who did not like gay people, did not think that being gay was right. Um, of course, not all of them were extremely abrasive. Some of them did remain more neutral in public settings, but then you also had a few that are not afraid to just, you know, say whatever to whoever. And it's sad because in middle school, that's whenever I started to get a lot more friends because I was super shy in uh, elementary school, primary school. And, you know, in middle school, um, most of my friends were members of the LGBTQI plus community. I had, you know, gone to school, um, seeing all my friends, yet I was going to church and all of my church friends saying, oh, those friends are going to hell or those friends are uh, an abomination or those friends are living an unnatural lifestyle. And to think that, you know, God would condemn my friends who have been there for me, like more mm-hmm. than like my church had been there for me. It just made me really sad. And it was so hard for me because I did not want to believe it. I did not want to believe any of that. And so how old were you the at that lockdown, point? How, I'm sorry, what did you say? How old were you at that point? So all throughout, I think I started noticing it at seventh grade. So like, I'm trying to think, how old are you when you're in seventh grade? Like 12? I think it's 12, 13, 14, 12 or 13. Yeah. Okay. And so you had quite a big crew of different friends from church to school. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. different. Like, I felt like I was kind of not necessarily living two different lives, but it was just a very different dynamic, very different environment that was just like interchangeably like going back and forth between, you know. And your parents were still part of the same church as you, and you were still part, like, you were still with them? Yeah, okay. Yeah, in that, in that moment, um, I was, we were all going to the same church, and the same church that was preaching these homophobic messages every now and then, Mm -hmm. um, was the same church that my parents went to, I went to, um, yeah, and it was just so... It was just really heartbreaking to think that, you know, my friends, for simply being who they were, were an abomination, that they would not inherit the kingdom of God. And it just made me so sad. But also, it made me, like, I felt this conviction. I'm like, there is no way that that's true. Yeah. There is no way. And so, because I felt so passionately about my friends, I you know, realized in the lockdown, um, I was like, I have to, like, I have to figure out what exactly this is. I have to figure out why churches are preaching these messages, what exactly is making them preach these messages, Mm. and is that valid or not? And so I, you know, of course, during the lockdown, 
it was hard because I was still, of course, living with my parents, which, of course, they were not very supportive of it either. Mm. Um, but in the lockdown, I also kind of had a revelation, and I realized, like, oh, my gosh, there is no, <laughs> no wonder why I only hung out with people in the LGBTQIA plus community because I felt like I saw a part of myself in them. I just didn't know it at the time. And, you know, okay. I... Of course, later came out after that, but in the midst of the lockdown, I was like, I'm in a house with my parents who clearly, you know, are going to be dismissive of anything that I say or do. They're clearly going to not agree with anything that I say. Um, and I can't come out and say, hey, I think I may be an LGBTQ affirming Christian because, of course, I, you know... Of course, at the time, I was still in the closet, and so I considered myself a straight Christian ally, even though that was not the case. And, you know, after truly, you know, spending time with God and developing, like, a more, like, I guess, inclusive faith and realizing, like, you know, that there are there's such a wide spectrum of Christianity and realizing that there are many different ways to interpret Scripture, I realized mm -hmm. that... I found myself on more of the progressive side of Christianity mm -hmm. rather than more the conservative side. And I can go into like my ideology as a Christian and like, you know, the church that I attend now, which is of course extremely affirming the pastor. She actually has a daughter who is trans. So she is very affirming. And, awesome. you know, I, I've thankfully been able to find that community of people, but uh, of course, it took me a long time to get there because I still had to get past the church that I was going to initially. Um, but the thing with the lockdown is, you know, those who were kind of planning on leaving the church kind of had an easier way to do it because of the lockdown mm -hmm. um, and because churches were not really meeting in person anymore. So it was just kind of an easy transition for like, let's yeah. say if you're in leadership and you don't want to be anymore, locked down, just yeah. kind of make it easier. Or like, if you're like me, you're trying to have a change of scenery as far as churches and trying to like find a church that like more aligns with what you believe, then like, that's a lot easier. And like, you know, the denomination that my ch initial church was in was the Baptist denomination. And you know, that was a whole thing because I considered myself non-denominational. I was non-denominational Christian. So what, that in what itself, does that mean? this was before I came out, what does, you know. What does non-denominational mean? So non-denominational means um, you are a Christian, but you don't have, like your beliefs don't align with a specific denomination. So like some people say, oh, I'm Catholic, I'm Baptist, Oh, I'm right, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I'm, you know, sure. Orthodox, Episcopalian, you know, yeah. Pentecostal, those different denominations. Yeah. They, you, we all worship the same God, obviously, but I personally don't think that my beliefs as a Christian aligns with a certain denomination. Okay. It's more so just kind of in general, like, I just, you know, believe in God faith. and, yeah. you know, I believe in the gospel and I believe in Jesus and, you know, it's not necessarily like, oh, I'm Methodist, I'm Baptist, I'm yeah, Catholic. Okay. It's just kind of a general thing, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And um, so that in itself 
you know, I was like, well, I go to a Baptist church, but I'd rather, you know, go to a non-denominational church. Yeah. Um, just me switching churches without me coming out was a huge thing in my household because my dad, um, specifically, he had gotten, um, he had went, he had the church that we were going to, he was going to be a, the worship pastor there, one of the pastors there. And so it's just like, so you're not going to come to this church where I'm the pastor at. <laughs> Why do you want to go to a different church? You know, this is our church. And of course, though they initial initially was not to, oh, bless you. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> though they were not so gung-ho about it, and it was very much like, what about me? What about my church, you know? Um, it was, they initially, they initially didn't feel good, but after that, they felt a lot better. But I think as far as, like, them, they cared a lot about their image in the church, and so they cared a lot about how people viewed them, and so whenever it came to, like, me switching churches in itself, that didn't necessarily look good, because then people would ask, Mm -hmm. like, why is she not coming to the same church as you guys? Like, why is she switching churches? And so that was kind of, like, my first transition outside of that specific church, and whenever I got to college and started living in um, the same town that my college was in, um, it was more so like, well, I'm going to be spending most of my time down here because I have, I have a job here and I go to school here. So I'm like, I might as well find a church here. And so that was when I, you know, started making some more friends. I started to, you know, talk to more people and like trying to find the support system, um, for me, because, you know, I, w- I just got out of living in a household that was a pretty hostile household. So I suck out therapy. I um, learned how to set boundaries. And, you know, I learned that, you know, some people, like, hurt people hurt people. So, like, yeah. if people in the church have hurt you, if people in your household have yeah. hurt you, then that is probably because they are hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. And so... Good that really happened more so, it happened more so like me seeking out help and therapy happened more so like the summer going into college and then I just continued throughout, all throughout college. And that's what really helped. The distance um, really helped. Like, it, like I learned how to love uh, my family, my relatives from a distance and it made me a lot happier. Um, but I knew I liked guys and girls for a long time and so um my second my at the end of the first semester my first year of college I dated a guy and then we broke up and then the second semester I dated a girl and of course my um my family was extremely shocked um so they didn't they didn't know by then had you not told them then no um because I had never been in a relationship before ever okay. before this the first guy. So I didn't necessarily want to put a label on my sure. sexuality at that time because I had never been in a relationship, period. For yeah, okay. a while, you know, I thought I was actually asexual because I didn't really find anybody that I liked. I didn't find yeah. anybody that I wanted to be in a relationship with. Yeah. But, you know, then I realized, like, okay, well, maybe... 
I should just wait a little while. I'm going to, like, maybe it's just the high school that I go to. Maybe I'm just not really drawn to anybody here. And then, of course, whenever I get to college, my options will be a bit more open. Let's just see how this goes. Sure. And then, of course, you know, I realize, okay, maybe I'm, maybe I'm not ace, you know. And um, maybe it was just, like, that environment. And, you know, I just needed to branch out a little bit. And, you know, I, I felt like from a young age, I knew that I was open to the idea of dating women. But I was, I was never able to tell anybody that because yeah. nobody in my household or in the church actually created the space for me to do so because mm-hmm. of the discrimination that mm-hmm. gay people have experienced in the church. Yeah. Like there was a pastor. He is no longer a pastor at that church anymore, <laughs> but he actually refused to baptize one of my friends because she was gay. And how old was your friend? She, so I was a senior, no, 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 I was a junior in high school and she was a sophomore in high school. So I was 16 and she was 15. So yeah, it was, um, how did your friend take that? Very sad. Yeah, it was, how did your friend, um, how did your friend take that? How did your friend take that? She was very, she was just very disappointed. And I could tell that she really wanted to have a relationship with God. But the fact that a pastor refused to baptize her because she was gay, it made her, I can tell it made her think like, maybe it's not possible for me to be gay and to be a Christian, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And it just really hurt me to see her like that because, yeah. you know, it was, I felt like for me in that moment, that's whenever I knew like, oh my gosh, like the LGBTQI plus community experiences a lot more discrimination in the church than I thought they did. Mm. I thought it was just, oh, well, we don't accept you, but we'll still pray for you, but we'll still love you. Like, I, that was the first time I've seen something like that, like a pastor refusing to baptize somebody. Did he say, like, were you in the situation, like, watching what was going on? Like, did she turn up to get baptized and he just said no? Or did he give a reason? What, What was... How did that pan out? So um, in the church that I was going to, um, the pastor, like, if you want to get baptized, you have to have some, like, a pastor meeting along with, like, you know, the parent, if it is somebody who's, like, in the youth um, group or somebody who is younger. Mm -hmm. And so she actually came to our, like, little group of friends that we had along with, like, our Bible study leader at youth group one night and she just looked so sad and we were like what happened and she was like well I talked to this pastor about getting baptized with my stepmom and he said you know something along the lines of I would love to baptize her I think that she is 100% ready to be baptized I think that she truly knows what it means to step into salvation. But there is just one thing that is keeping her from stepping into salvation, and that is her sexuality. And I was like, 
Wow. I, I, yeah, it was, it was heartbreaking to see that, to see her go through that Mm. because to think like, because I feel like the fact that I am such an empathetic person, seeing somebody go through something like that automatically, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, like my heart just drops with you. Like, it's just so heartbreaking to think that it, it just kind of makes it seem as though like the pastor was trying to put a limit on God's possibility to bring anybody into salvation. And it wasn't necessarily that, you know, it was kind of like the spiritual abuse thing, you know, it wasn't necessarily that God did not want her to be baptized. Mm-hmm. The only thing standing in the way of her making that step was the pastor. Yeah. And I'm like, it was a human's ego. It was just so heartbreaking to see that. And I honestly, in that moment, I was like, that's kind of when I knew that there were some serious issues happening in the church. And it, it really broke my heart. And, you know, during the lockdown, after like, you know, because ex- with the whole live streaming thing and like not meeting in person, I was able to live stream a bunch of other different churches. Yeah. And I was able to see that there are churches out there who, you know, affirm gay people and who would uh, be able to have gay people on their leadership. And there are gay pastors out there. There are trans pastors out there. And it made, it really encouraged me because I'm like, you know, a lot of people believe it's in, especially in, you know, the Western evangelical church that it is impossible to be gay and to be a Christian. And then it was just so encouraging during the lockdown to start live streaming all these different churches and see like, wow, there's a gay Christian on stage singing the words to uh, Oceans by Hillsong or singing No Longer a Slave by Bethel. Like, you know, (laughs) I see a bunch of, you know, I just see a bunch of people doing doing things that... Can no, I ask you, sorry, I just want to go back to that, your friend who was refused baptism, essentially. At that time, you were 16. Did, did you know that, did you, did you feel your sexuality? Did you know that you were different? Or like, how did that make you feel seeing that, not just for her, but also for you? I feel like in that moment, like, I am somebody who definitely tries to empathize with people, but seeing her go through that, Mm. like it put me in that situation. Mm. And I guess in that moment I was thinking like, Oh my gosh, if this happens to her and her parents were none of her family members, none of her relatives were in any sort of leadership, but my, Mm. my family, they were. Mm. And I'm like, she is just an attendant here. Her family doesn't serve. She just goes here to this church. Imagine a pastor refusing to baptize somebody who simply attends this church because they're gay. What would happen if I were to come out, somebody who like has family that yeah. serves in the church, that is actively in the church, that has an image in the church? Yeah. What's going to happen when I come out? And what's going to happen if I come out? And yeah. the fact that 
my mind automatically went to, oh my gosh, what if that was me? Mm. I think that's kind of whenever I knew like, okay, I'm not sure what I am. I just know I'm probably not straight because I, I wasn't only, you know, attracted to men. I was attracted to women as well. And I didn't realize and, until that moment, it's just like, wait, why am I thinking, what if I come out? Why am I thinking, yeah. what if I'm gay? Maybe it's not a what if, you know? Yeah. I'm thinking these reasons. I'm thinking these things for a reason. Um, okay. So you, you go to college and you have your first, um, boyfriend and then you have your a girlfriend after that. Did you, had you told your parents before then, or was that just something that you kind of said to them? Like, how did, how did that conversation go? Okay. So I did not mean to come out. So <laughs> I, I actually, That's probably it was an better. accident. I was going to have a whole grand thing where I send them a letter. I have great calligraphy. I put a family <laughs> picture and I, I give it to them and it was going to be a pre- presentation, but that didn't work out because I actually was live streaming church one day and I was on Facebook. I was live streaming church on Facebook and this is a very affirming church. Like literally the pastor opens up with like, you know, his name, his pronouns, what he's, you know, his sexuality, what he's preaching on, like they're very affirming. And it came time for the prayer request. And it's just like, type your prayer request in the, <laughs> in the comment section. And I said, pray for my parents. I haven't come out to them yet. I didn't realize that on Facebook, if you're friends oh, with somebody, yeah. you can see whenever they comment on other people's posts. Oh, so wow. all my, all my family saw was <laughs> pray for my parents. I haven't come out to them. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> wow. I was like, oh no. <laughs> I did not mean to do that. I did not know they would see it. <laughs> And I was like, and then there was the whole conversation that obviously did not go well. So did and they did they see that and then they called you or how did that go? Yeah. So it was actually a couple days after because I can't remember, I guess like afterwards I like had something to do and it was like late whenever I came back and I was like, yeah, sorry, I didn't realize I'd be out that long. And they'd be like, okay, just call us another time or just call us this weekend. And so like, it was like a couple days after and of course, the conversation, of course, didn't go well. I was crying because, you know, it was very much like, you're wrong. This is unnatural. What makes you think this is okay? This is absolutely not okay. This is wrong. Like, you know, mm. it was just very much an accusatory type of thing. And so things were tense for a long time, for a very long time. And during that time, of course, my girlfriend at the time, she was there for me. She was 100% there. I actually, um, you know, saw her family as kind of like my family because they kind of helped me out through all that. And they were like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, I cannot believe this is happening. And like with her family, her, her mom is a Christian as well. But she is not the type of person that's like, you can't be gay and be a Christian. Like, there's absolutely no way. Like, that's that's unnatural. Like, no, she straight up 
brought me to church and was like, hey, this is her girlfriend. This is Talia. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you actually introduced me in church as like a girlfriend. And I, I was thinking that she was still in the closet and I would have to be like, oh, yeah, I'm her friend, you know. <laughs> and so it was just um, it was just very surprising. I was like, it was just a breath of fresh air. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had that, um, solid relationship with her and her family. Um, but whenever, so whenever it ended in June, whenever we broke up, it was just like, I felt that abandonment all over again because Mm -hmm. in, you know, I felt that disappointment all over again and it kind of took me back to, you know, you know, I guess my, my experience with the church and my experience in that, in my household and with all of the abuse that I experienced, but also there was some neglect. I mean, of course, both my parents were in the house and they took care of me, but as far as like emotional neglect, Mm -hmm. you know, I was told, you know, you shouldn't, be crying, you're over dramatic, like you're too sensitive. My feelings no. were mostly like shut down. And I'm not exactly sure if that's like a cultural thing or if that was just in my household because, you know, I I I grew up in mainly like all Caucasian areas. However, of course I had black friends and I just don't I, I would talk to them about it and like everybody would have like different experiences. So like, that's why I'm not so sure, but it's just like, you know, I recall having to just be shut off and like mm. blank and having to put on a mask and yeah. the mask is just so exhausting to wear whenever you're around people who you are supposed to be your authentic selves around. Yeah. And whenever like there's no room for that it's just suffocating and she was the one person that I can be authentic with and I can truly say how I was feeling without the fear of her walking away and without the fear of her you know like abandoning me shutting me down make telling me like oh don't cry like I knew that I wouldn't get that with her so that way so that's why you know whenever you know, we broke up in June, it just kind of put me back into that, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have said anything. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't have been vulnerable with her. I shouldn't have let my, you know, emotions, you know, just like out there. Like I shouldn't have been so honest and upfront with her. I should have just been guarded. I should have just, you know, kept everything in instead of opening up. Like I should, like, you know, it just kind of kept putting me back in that, moment because every time I would open up and be vulnerable I would get shut down so in that moment where I lost her um I'm acting like she died you know (laughs) whenever she broke up with me it was like it was so it was so hard you know it was very hard and how long were you two together how long were we together yeah three months I know it's <laughs> I'm treating it like it's been three years but still you know yeah it was my first real girlfriend yeah I didn't say I love you to the previous guy I only said I love you to this girl and so yeah. it was just like it was 
she was my first love and it was great. And then whenever it was gone, I was like, Oh my gosh, this was a, this was a result of me being vulnerable. This was a result of me showing who I am. You know, this is a result of me actually, you know, being authentic and honest. Now I can't do that again. And of course it put me back in that, you know, mindset of like being honest and being myself is what get me gets me hurt yeah maybe I should just hide again you know and that was extremely triggering to me and it really it really really messed me up but I it's just were your parents thing. had your parents sort of come around to the idea then or or no was that still going on well that was very much still going on I can just tell that they were um, a little bit more, um, <laughs> they're a little bit more happy <laughs> that I wasn't with her anymore. Oh, like yeah. even one of my parents was like, maybe it's for the best, but it wasn't even like a, like, oh, well maybe it's for the best. It was more so like, oh, well, that's, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it was just kind of like, you know, oh, well, if you're in a relationship that God doesn't approve of, then it's bound oh, to end, wow. you know, all of that stuff. And so it's just you know, they were not, they were still not happy about it. And do you have, um, not happy. Do you have any brothers and sisters? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. My, she, my younger sister, of course, obviously still lives with them because she's way younger. But, um, I, it's not that I don't, it's not that I have any sort of rocky relationship with her. I mean, she's not the one that, you know, contributed to, anything she was just kind of like there and she was like I don't know what to do and Mm. so you know of course I still have a relationship with her I still want a relationship with her um and of course I know she um she is still kind of just like as confused as my parents were I don't know if she had any inkling from the beginning that I might have liked girls so I know that she's still kind of like probably trying to process things. Yeah. And, you know, who knows? Maybe this, well, maybe she'll see this, you know, prompt her to reach out and be like, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, and of course, you know, I still am going to like reach out to her every now and then. But of course, you know, I like to, you know, love people from a distance. Um, and if they want to be more close, then it'll have to be something that they are willing to do rather than me trying to like force anything on them. Like, Hey, have a relationship with me, you know, just cause I'm not really talking to mom and dad anymore. Have a relationship with me. So it's like, you know, it, it's still, it's still pretty good as far as, you know, what I know, but yeah. And any... I'm glad that that hasn't really changed much, you know, do you have any other it's siblings just... or just a, a younger sister? Um, I do have half siblings on my dad's side. Um, of course, I still have somewhat of a relationship with them, two of them. Um, uh, the other one, um, I'm not really sure because he changed he changes his number a lot and like he doesn't really <laughs> he doesn't really keep in contact with much of anybody, but um, I know that he's doing okay because of what I hear from other relatives, but my older two siblings, of course, they're grown. One has a kid. One's in grad school studying, like, medical awesomeness, and she's just have, living her best life. Have they 
Have they spoken to you about any of this themselves or have they sort of like reached out saying that they're there to help you or like have they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they have definitely reached out. And, you know, I'm glad that they're, you know, very, very much like if you need anything, come to us. We're not going to abandon you, especially my older sister. She's like, I'm not. I will not turn my back on my little sister. There's no way. Like, okay. gay, straight, whatever. I will not turn my back on my little sister. And, like, of course I see her, and I I really do look up to her. And so hearing that from her mm. just makes me feel great. And, like, I know she's going to probably watch this and want to be like, <laughs> Tilly, I just want to give you a big hug. Because, like, I never really, like, expressed that to her as mm. much as I should have. And mm-hmm. so... And, like, of course, that's another thing I need to work on as far as, like, you know, expressing my love to people um, in a way that, like, they clearly know. But, yeah, I just, I'm so grateful for her and my older brother, too. Um, All my siblings, really. But, yeah, I'm very grateful that not all of my relatives are just, like, non-affirming, just not, Mm. you know, just, like, super just judgmental, super closed off to the idea of me being queer and being a Christian. Like I'm grateful that, you know, a lot of them are like very much like, it doesn't matter. We still love you. And I'm like, though I found that outside of my bloodline too, it's just nice to know, you Mm. know? Yeah. Sometimes your friends become your family quite quickly when they just love you for who you are. Right. Oh, yeah. And like, that's what I like to tell people is like, there's a difference between relatives Mm. and family, you know, relatives are blood related to you, Mm. or related to you through like marriage, but like, family are really people who like take up for each other, they will not leave you behind you. Like, basically, you know, they are not going to be dismissive of you. They're not going to verbally abuse you. They're not going to just make you feel like, you know, you're not good enough, make you feel horrible about yourself. And, you know, like, as far as like, what I call like my chosen family, like if I come to them and hold them accountable for something and be like, Hey, listen, you, you hurt me. Whatever you said, X, Y, Z, they aren't going to turn around and be like, Oh, well you did this, blah, blah, blah. Like you're not going to start blame shifting. They're going to be like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, how can I, how can I, you know, make sure that this doesn't happen again, you know, and that's unfortunately what I experienced, like, in the church and in my household, which is, though I'm glad that that situation is over now, and I am out of that situation, um, you know, it's just a shame, and that's what I'm trying to advocate for, advocate Mm. for change in that area. Yeah, uh, I agree. So, I mean, how do you... I guess, obviously, you went from being in a relationship to then out of a relationship and then not just questioning yourself, but questioning, like, being, like, letting those feelings out, like, being your true self, essentially, and being hurt. Like, often putting our vulnerable selves out does bring another side of maybe people or we do get hurt. And I guess being human is, you know, we 
we get hurt. Like things don't necessarily go the way that we believe that they should or we want that they should. Um, And obviously you mentioned going back to your parents and then not having that support there and feeling like your partner was your support. But what is it that essentially got you out of that mindset and keeps you in a positive state? Because that could break down a lot of people. That could be really, really bad for a lot of people, especially when they feel very unsupported from the people that they believe should love them. Like, what is it that you do maybe on a daily basis that helps you, I guess, remember that you are amazing? Yeah. and that I will say, you know, one thing that I have been extremely blessed with is, like, music and, like, my musical abilities. And that's one thing that my parents did contribute to a lot because they're very musical. I mean, I come from just a very musical family in general. Um, but, yeah, I'm just... I'm so blessed to, and like I'm a music student in school, so it's like having that is definitely a huge thing that I really like gravitate to whenever it comes to like coping. And like how I cope is anything that has to do with like listening to music, writing songs, singing, like, and that is very much how I coped with the breakup that was extremely hard, like um which of course resulted in this album that I'm releasing and so it's just like you know anything that had to do with music it 100% like changes how I view myself like it's just like that one song lyric that can change like how you view yourself how you view the other world like everybody in the world like I feel like for me music can go places where nobody else can go and that's like in someone's heart and can completely Mm. like change everything and it can be a complete 360 of somebody's life all because of just like one song and for me I feel like that is a multiple songs um which is great because like I have a bunch of just different reminders in the form of music whether it's songs that I listen to that I make a playlist out of or like songs that I write, you know, Mm. and I literally had to remind myself with one of my own songs, um, on the album. And I was like, maybe if I was thinking like, maybe if I just, you know, just don't say anything, don't tell anybody how I'm feeling because, you know, that's what got me in this mess in the first place. And then like, I remember I wrote a song called suffer in silence and I was like, I cannot suffer in silence anymore. I have to let it out. I have to put out all of my feelings into something productive or I just have to like dish it out with a friend, go out and do something. Like I cannot just sit and act like everything's okay and wear a mask. I've been wearing it my entire life. And now that I don't have to anymore, I don't want to put it back on ever again and it's super ironic that I'm using this analogy in the middle of a global pandemic (laughs) true right yeah Yeah, maybe more of us should learn that actually wearing a mask isn't gonna help us yeah in in this circumstance of course you wear a mask but if it's hiding who you are no don't wear a mask don't wear the metaphorical mask (laughs) yeah it's amazing how many I I mean, it it probably goes for men as well, but how many women 
do are almost brought up in a way that they think that they have to wear a mask to be safe. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it's it's crazy really when you think about it. Like you think about what we we can be when we are our true selves and our true emotional selves and our true non-emotional selves you know whichever way that is and there seems to be so much judgment around the way that someone might feel rather than just accepting who they are and listening and being there for them and I think what you're doing is exactly is really really beneficial and hopefully this you know this interview might it might trigger some people but it might just make some people think you know that that whatever whatever you feel is the way that you want to be then you should go do it because there's always other people out there that are going to do it with you right you've just got to find your tribe essentially right and that's what I tell people all the time I'm like if you have to find your support system outside of your bloodline find your support system outside of your bloodline just as long as you have a support system Mm. because you can't fight this battle alone. And like, I, though I consider myself a pretty independent person, I don't, I'm not afraid to admit whenever I need help. Like I'm not afraid to, you know, be like, Hey, listen, I'm struggling, you know? And like having that tribe, having that support system is very essential, especially for LGBTQIA plus people Mm. and LGBTQIA plus Christians, because not only are you queer just living in this world where a lot of people just you know have no love in their hearts for anybody that's different from them you're also you know this person in the church who has a relationship with christ but your relationship with christ is constantly being questioned by people who think that they know better than you and think that they are you know just better than you in general and it's just like you know it's so frustrating and whenever you're going through all that, you do have to have like that strong group of people that, you know, you can talk to about anything that actually create that safe space for you Mm -hmm. that maybe wasn't created in your church, your household, your previous relationship, your whatever, you know? Yeah. 100%. Okay, cool. I'd love to ask you a couple of questions. Last, last couple of questions for you. What do you think has been your biggest lesson? say my biggest lesson was probably learning that empathy can only go so far and like though I consider myself a pretty empathetic person you know there are some people that you know it's kind of dangerous to empathize with you know like for me I consider myself in a a survivor of abuse um and a lot of people see the word survivor as like oh you had a near-death experience but really I just kind of see a survivor as somebody who's like Still you know overcome some difficult times and you know overcome some difficult trials and tribulations and for me if you are a survivor of any type of abuse trying to empathize with your abuser it's extremely dangerous because you know and truly empathizing is putting your putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and putting yourself in the mindset of somebody else. If you put yourself in the mindset of somebody who constantly dismisses 
you constantly uh, assassinates your character, makes threats, verbal threats, constantly, you know, tries to blame shift, tries to play the victim, like somebody who intentionally contributes to your emotional pain. That's dangerous. Or going, uh, this only happened to me every now and then, and but like trying to empathize with somebody who is physically abusive. That is extremely dangerous. You know, mm-hmm. trying to see the world from somebody's point of view who is clearly violent, mm-hmm. it is extremely dangerous. And so it's like, sometimes your empathy can ghost can only go so far to where it becomes dangerous and like trigger warning. Some people who have been abused sexually trying to put your self in the point of view in like the shoes of your rapist, that is extremely dangerous. And so I feel like as empaths, you know, it is so easy to, you know, try and put your, not only put yourself in, you know, people's shoes, but to condone somebody's actions. And, you know, people, all of these people who, all of these abusers who take advantage of people in whatever type of way, whether they abuse their authority, think that they're, you know, exempt from any accountability because of their authority, or, you know, they have found somebody that they feel like they can take advantage of. Like, these abusers, you know, are already dangerous in themselves condoning any sort of actions from them is even more dangerous and so so, though i believe that everybody deserves grace and everybody deserves forgiveness you know forgiveness does not necessarily mean condone their actions forgiveness is i am choosing to let what you've said done whatever to me um not affect my life Mm -hmm. therefore I'm not condoning anything that you do and I'm moving on with my life and letting you figure out what it is that you need to figure out. And I am not going to try and waste any energy trying to understand you, but I do wish you the best. And that is what forgiveness is. So your lesson is to, is to basically not give your energy to, trying to understand why negative things happen yeah it's such a huge lesson as well I think I mean you know even from one extreme to the other you know just general people who are negative or bringing you down or not lighting you up it's so easy to give them our energy and think that maybe we can help them and we can make them more positive or we can help them reach their goals and actually they've got to do it themselves like we can't do that for them they've got to actually really go do it themselves Right, exactly. And like for somebody, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm not controlling. I am a little bit controlling at times, but you know, there are some things that sometimes you just cannot do out of flesh and you just cannot try and attempt to change. Yeah. If somebody who you are really close to, family member, boyfriend, girlfriend, friend, who is clearly like not trying to take accountability for their actions. There's really not anything that you can do other than to love them from a distance, let them figure it out, forgive them, and go on with your life. Because at the end of the day, you know, toxic people are going to, you know, choose one of two things. They're going to look inward and truly, you know, realize like, okay, maybe I shouldn't 
be treating people this way or they are just going to blame everybody else around them so that way they don't have to admit that they're wrong. Yeah. That, whichever one that they choose, that is not something that you can change. It is not something that you can contribute to. Mm. And it is something that they have to figure out on their own and has absolutely nothing to do with you. And the only thing that you can do is realize that their anger, their immaturity, their unhappiness is not your responsibility. Yeah. And, you know, if you've been victimized, like it is definitely 100% possible to come back from that. Mm. Cool. Um, okay, what's one of the scariest things that you've ever done? Ooh, coming out. <laughs> that was Accidentally? very scary, you know. <laughs> Even though you didn't realize you did it? Even though I did, okay, look, I was trying to, (laughs) I wasn't trying to make anything public. I truly thought (laughs) that my comment on Facebook, the only people that see the comment are people who either visit that post or the people who posted the post. I didn't know every single one of your friends could see the post or see the comment. I'm just like, oh my gosh, what? So (laughs) that was scary that I was like, oh no. And because of course, though that my church uh, that I came, uh, that I came from wasn't that discriminatory. You know, there have been churches who have unfortunately contributed to hate crimes against gay people Mm -hmm. uh, in America. Um, There are um, still gay conversion camps that are legal in America in certain states. What's a gay conversion camp? So gay conversion therapy slash camp um, is basically um, using spiritual, biblical, psychological um, interventions and manipulation to... um, change someone's sexual orientation and wow but the, yeah so um wow mainly in the mainly in the early 2000s and i think late 90s it was it was booming along with the purity culture movement so i actually did a whole essay on purity culture and how it started but around that time you know a lot of uh, I guess around that time, a lot of teenagers, um, the statistics for like how many teenagers get like STIs and STDs just kind of skyrocketed in that moment. And I guess the evangelical church's response to that was to create a sex, a Christian sex education program and Western evangelical churches that only preached abstinence. And so that's kind of how purity culture started. And around that same time, was when the ex-gay movement started, where a lot of um, gay conversion camps actually started to, like, you know, become to take place. And so there was, there actually, I don't know if the movie is released or the documentary is already released on Netflix, but there is a documentary about it. I think it's called, like, Ex-Gay or something like that. Um, I saw the trailer, and I was like, oh, yes. Please, <laughs> please make a movie about this. Oh, we man. need to have a movie about this and the dangers of conversion therapy. But wow. basically, there was also a movie called Boy Race. I haven't seen the whole thing, but um, basically, a lot of 
the reason why nobody really knows about gay conversion therapy and knows that it was once legal yeah. is because a lot of these conversion camps are disguised as churches. So a lot of churches oh, wow. will, let's say, you know, oh, we have uh, church services on Sunday. Oh, but on Wednesdays, you know, we have our little small group for gay people if you want to come to our small group. Oh, my goodness. But really it turns out to be, you know, a conversion type of situation. Or, like, let's say um, there was, like, a church camp. Yeah. And it turned out to actually be a conversion camp. Like, you know, a lot of these places, now some of them were just, you know, would actually advertise it as, like, conversion therapy. But it would they would advertise it in a way that, you know, was like, oh, if you want to get rid of your, you know, sinful desires, come to this camp, blah, blah, blah. And... It was, it's unfortunate that that was once legal and it is still legal in some states, which is crazy in some states here. And I'm just like, and like the amount of abuse that was happening in those conversion camps was crazy. Like they would, um, I know one lady, she actually um, was assaulted in the conversion camp by other men to quote-unquote straighten her out and it was just so oh my goodness it's it's Oof. very yeah I it breaks my heart to know that and though I guess that's kind of I know that gay conversion therapy is illegal I believe in the state of Louisiana I think it's illegal but still so that fear of coming out in the church Mm. and coming out, you know, and knowing that there were people who lived in that time and Mm. once condoned that type of intervention to Mm. change someone's sexual orientation was kind of scary, even though there are not really any institutions in place. Yeah. It is still very, it is still very scary because though conversion therapy doesn't happen anymore, there's still hate crimes. There's still stuff happening in the church that it, you know, it's there's still a lot of crazy things that are happening to queer people Mm. it may not be as severe as maybe other countries but it's it's still it's still upsetting yeah it's sad okay cool um okay last question what's um what's the best advice that you could that you could give our listeners today i guess if you're going through any abuse just know that it's not your fault hurt people hurt people and you are 100% loved you may not feel loved right now whether you're in an abusive household relationship regardless of what type of abuse you know yeah it abuse does not have to be somebody laying a hand on you abuse could be verbal psychological yeah spiritual if you are in the church um abuse comes in all different shapes and sizes and you know don't let somebody invalidate your experience because it was you know it was something that wasn't as dangerous or you weren't in a life-threatening situation I wasn't technically in a life-threatening situation but it was dangerous for my mental health to continue to be 
in the situations that I was in at the time. And Mm -hmm. so if you are experiencing any sort of abuse, know that it is 100% not your fault. If you are a survivor of abuse, um, the processing, you processing your trauma, unfortunately, is something that you're going to have to go through throughout your whole life. I'm a survivor of abuse, and I'm still processing my trauma, and I will probably be processing it mm-hmm. till the day I die. But if you are a survivor of abuse, um, I'm proud of you, one, <laughs> two, um, it, it, things, don't, things are only looking up from here. If you yeah. were able to survive that trauma, you are able to survive anything. You are strong mm. and you are loved. Yeah, I love that. Sending the messages of love for sure. Amazing. Thank you so much for jumping on with us and sharing your story. I know it's probably still quite scary for you actually to, to speak out about all of this too you know especially when it's so close to your heart and and your soul and your family too so thank you for being you thank you for speaking your truth and thank you for joining me today I really appreciate it thank you for having me oh you're so welcome I'm excited to see what's going to happen for you in the next couple of years and the transformation the help you're going to have for a lot of people around this world I feel thank you very much If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and head on over to iTunes or your favorite podcast listener and give us a five-star review. Don't forget to join our free Facebook community called She's Unshakable, where we get to share our tips and tricks and experiences with building courage, resilience, and belief in ourselves. I look forward to meeting you in there.